That's the tardy bell. It's time for Dr. Price Teaches. Pull up a desk and join this classroom community of educators. Chapter 6, Settling In. As you listen to this chapter, consider how you craft your classroom as a learning environment for students. By the time the next year arrived, I had completely purged my classroom of remnants from the previous teacher. Old posters, trash. Decrepit books, trash. Reams of old handouts, ditto sheets and all, trash. My filing cabinets sighed out of relief as I lightened their load. Now the classroom was mine. No longer a long-term substitute, I felt proud and ready to kick 2009-2010 school year off right. So I came out guns a-blazing. First day of school. I was determined to set the tone on the first day of class. As the students entered and introduced themselves, I greeted them and immediately directed them to their assigned seats. I wanted them to know that I was ready. Assigning the seats upon entry also protected my class time. Then the bell rang. I briefly introduced myself, speaking through my cotton mouth of nervousness. And then I hit the class with a dose of hard reality. This class is designed to make you a stronger reader, a stronger writer, a stronger speaker, and a stronger thinker. Therefore, I will push you every day to grow towards your potential. You will be challenged. After all, very little learning happens when everything is easy. Of course, I will help and guide you along the way. But much of your success hinges on you. And if you are afraid to try, you should probably change your schedule because you will fail this class. If you are afraid to be challenged, you should probably change your schedule because you will fail this class. If you are afraid to learn new things, you should probably change your schedule because you will fail this class. Eyes silently watched me intently, swallowing my every word. I continued. I don't say this as a threat or a scare tactic. This is a reality. I want to witness your greatness, but if you get in your own way, I will witness your downfall. But that's not what I want. I want every last one of you to achieve. If by the end of this year you have grown as a reader, writer, speaker, thinker, then we both will have done our jobs. Now, does anyone have any questions? A soft wave of no, sir, mixed with shaking heads. So I moved to discuss the structure of the class, distributing papers while I spoke, the introductory letter to parents, the lists of supplies, etc. Next up were the short letters of advice that last year's 10th graders had written. I had typed them and cleaned up the grammar. As I walked around the room, students selected a random letter from a box. Then they read them. Some giggled, some eyes widened, and to lighten the mood, 
and respect full disclosure, I invited a few students to read their letters aloud. Students seemed to enjoy receiving a letter written to them, especially from students they knew. After the sharing, I explained my rationale. Now you've heard what to expect in this class from both me and former 10th graders. We both have warned you and advised you. Just in case you thought I wasn't serious, listen to the words of these former students. They speak from experience and they want to help you either be like them by graduating to the 11th grade or not be like them by being held back. Heed this advice as we move forward to greatness. And then the piece de résistance, their first assignment, day one. They were to memorize and recite a poem at the end of the week. The poem, A Wise Old Owl, was a four-line poem that I had inherited from Dear, my great aunt. However, rather than unwisely assuming that all of the students knew how to memorize lines, and had the confidence or had the confidence to tackle the task, I set the students up for success. I took the remainder of that first class to walk the students through the memorization process, combining gradual line stacking with repetition. They were all engaged, initially doubting their ability to memorize and then fully seeing the fruits of their structured efforts. By the end of the class, Students beamed as they exited the room, knowing the poem. And thus went my first day and my first effort at transforming the students into competent and confident speakers. Establishing routines and traditions. Every year following, I began the class the same. Expectations, advice from the previous group, recitation assignments. This was my way of jumping into the new year. I did not care for many icebreaker activities. They seemed a waste of time and superficial. As a recent graduate, I had tried a get to know you activity during my first year. On a document I designed, students indicated what they had read, what they liked to read, uh, which authors they had heard of, what their strengths and weaknesses were, etc. And this information would have been somewhat useful had I figured out ahead of time how and when I planned to use it or even read it. Once I gathered those interest inventories, they and the students time and effort wasted away in a stack behind my desk until I discarded them at year's end. From that moment, I never again subjected my students or myself to interest inventories. I knew myself too well to believe that I would ever take time to read them. My logic was simple. If it serves no genuine purpose, stop doing it. So I stopped. My alternative, however, was simple, direct, and required no reading or analysis outside of class on my part. As a first day, bell ringer assignment. The students wrote a few sentences answering the following prompt. What do you like or not like about English? Explain. Students then went around the room introducing themselves 
through their responses. And this single prompt allowed me to assess in class the collective mindset, successes, and traumas of the students. I could identify the confident writers and readers alongside those who had struggled in the past. Occasionally, a student would say, I'm not good at English, or I'm not good at writing or reading. And I would always make a point to correct that statement by repositioning the student's perspective. You mean you haven't been good at English, writing or reading. Don't let your past struggles define who you are or will be. There's still room for growth. After hearing this, the students would adjust what they said, hopefully understanding the power of such a simple change. Whether they believed it or not, I believed it. And I also believed that students sometimes pull the short straw and miss out on foundational support. That one bad English class experience can make students gun shy for the rest of their lives. And that students lie on untapped potential. So Mr. Price, the challenger and motivator, stepped in to guide students through their educational journey. I aimed to give them tools in that year-long course that would transform them into lifelong learners who had, who had options for their lives. Building Stronger Readers We read often during those years. Sometimes I would even set aside Fridays for a full day of reading. I loved it. More importantly, though, I saw the benefit of it. To strengthen writing skills, you must write. To strengthen singing skills, you must sing. Thus, to strengthen reading skills, you must read. And if I expect my students to improve their reading skills, I need to create opportunities to do so. Just I. Just as I cannot expect to become a better dancer by lounging on the couch, so too can I not expect reading skills to naturally develop without creating a space for that development. So we often spent the full, spent the full 50 minute class time on Friday reading a book of our choice. Ooh, what a glorious sight. I read with them too while periodically spying to ensure that everyone was actually reading. Those quiet moments when everyone was reading were inspiring. And during those moments, I, I relished in the fact that I was rubbing elbows with fellow scholars. Aside from the reading days, we also read other pieces of literature short stories, poems, plays, novellas. At the beginning of each year, I taught the students how to annotate. I gathered from the first day's bell ringer prompt that students typically struggled with reading and comprehension. Teaching annotation was my solution. I first broke the word annotate down. Raise your hand if you know what it means to annotate. No one? Let's look at the word. To annotate means to make a note. Annotate. It's a way of tracking down your progress or tracking your progress and understanding. 
Think about this. Have you ever had to read something for a class and as you were reading had questions? But then when you returned to class, you no longer remembered your question. Annotations would help with that. Or have you ever had issues understanding or even remembering something that you read by the time the next day came? Well, annotations can help with that, too. Annotations are simple, are simply ways of making sure that you know both what you know, both what you understand and what you don't understand so that you can discuss a text well and fill gaps along the way. There's nothing special or fancy about it. You just find ways of tracking your progress. You can underline or circle things. You can look up words or write those definitions. You can write questions down as soon as they come. You can use questions to show where you're confused. You can write one sentence summaries to keep up with what's going on. You can do all of these things because all of these things all of these strategies make you an active reader who interacts with the text, an active reader instead of an active starer. So this is what you will do each time you read. If you take the time to do it right, then you feel your comprehension actually grow. Then in the last 15 minutes of class, we started annotating a text together. I modeled my thoughts, asked others to share theirs, and encouraged them to validate their own thoughts and understandings by putting them down onto the paper. My goal was to get them started by giving them confidence and success structures necessary to work independently. Their homework was to finish reading and annotating. For the next day, we would discuss the story. Discussion day arrived, and students proudly proclaimed, Mr. Price, I finished the reading and annotating. I was able to focus, and I still remember the story. Fantastic, I replied. They were now among the elite. Building Stronger Thinkers and Speakers as, the, as these conversations continued throughout the school year, I stealthily took the role of facilitator and clarifier as students began helping each other out and resolving each other's confusion. By the fourth quarter of my last year at Warren Central High School, the students had become somewhat skilled in literary analysis. I felt they were ready for the challenge of carrying a discussion on their own. So I, reached, I researched Socratic circles, having experienced them once in college. After seeing examples, I arranged my desks accordingly. Once the students entered and class began, I explained the protocol of the Socratic circle activity. Then to kick off the discussion, I provided one basic question. What is the story about? Those five words launched the students into a discussion of such breadth and depth that made me smile like a proud parent. Each class period, some better than others, discussed the text to a level that I would not have been able to reach as a whole class. They made uh, connections across texts, 
filled in gaps and cited evidence with ease. As a classroom community, they traversed that text together without their fearless leader. At the end of the discussion, the students shared their enjoyment. Oh, that was fun. Y'all, I feel so smart. Meanwhile, I say, I'm so proud of y'all. That was fantastic. You took the discussion deeper than I would have been able to. We should have been doing this sooner. I wish I had known. Well, Mr. Price, I think we were able to do this because you trained us throughout the year. You prepared us for this. Talk about a way to butter me up. But she had a point. To expect untrained students to perform well in a Socratic circle at the beginning of the year is risky and bound to disappoint both teacher and student. Yet, because I had set my expectations early and scaffolded learning along the way, the students progressed through greatness or towards greatness, moving from the basic act of annotation to the complex act of a student-led discussion. Crafting a teaching persona. The friendly professional. I'm an introvert. My students probably wouldn't say so to them. I was a ball of energy who always had something to say. Early on, I realized that in order to inspire greatness, confidence, and risk-taking in the classroom, I needed to exhibit those qualities. So I became an extroverted introvert. Though I was typically quiet at home, I learned to open up to charm my similarly introverted students into sharing and participating. I laughed, I joked, I spoke in random accents, I bounced around the room to bring literature and grammar to life, and at the end of the day, I crashed. Then, by the next day, I was up for another performance. And then down for another reboot. Little by little, I learned how to conserve my energy. More importantly, I learned to relax the performance and allow myself to be more of my full, authentic self in the classroom. When I started doing this, my zany animation felt less draining and laughter more genuine. Sure, there was still a separation between Vincent and Mr. Price, but towards the end of those four years, the divide was not so distinct. I had accepted my classroom as a second home, one where students were welcome to join the learning of the day. Aside from the enthusiasm, my teaching persona was mostly a composite of my great aunt, the great English teacher, and Mr. Mark Thackeray, Sidney Poitier's character in the 1967 movie, To Serve With Love. From each, I adopted certain characteristics. From my aunt, a no-nonsense nature, a sternness, high standards of performance and behavior, a sense of always being on and professional, keeping the students on their toes with freshness and spontaneity in the classroom, and an unexpected silliness for the students' sake. From Sidney Poitier's Mark Thackeray, 
reflection, care, class and sophistication, relevance and practicality, smiling with the students, high expectations, the desire to expose the students to new experiences and opportunities, a calm nature, respect even when angry. When the three of us combined, Mr. Price became the kind of teacher who had a prop box full of swords, retractable daggers, beards, and puppets to use at, a, at an opportune and random times, who taught with a straight face while dressed as a hippie, afro, bell-bottom shades, and all, who deducted points for writing beyond the margins of loose-leaf paper, who took up notes unexpectedly to hold students accountable for working daily, who dramatically performed Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven under candlelight, who addressed students by their last names, Miss Smith, Mr. Thomas, who taught students how to play Scrabble, helped them build confidence and skill in it, and willingly whooped them when I felt they were ready, who focused on vocabulary meaning and spelling, who avoided getting too close or opening up to the students, who expected students to spit gum out upon entering the classroom, who led the school's involvement with Poetry Out Loud, a national recitation contest, who took a small group of students on a trip to England and France, who donned a cat in the hat hat and took students to read, to Dr., read Dr. Seuss books to elementary and preschool children, who believed that if you're not here for business, you have no business here, who offered optional assignments instead of extra credit, who paired Beowulf with How the Grinch Stole Christmas, who pushed the students to grow, who set up French pen pals for my French students, who involved students in the creation of a school-wide literary magazine, who paired real-world writing assignments with literary analysis, who stayed hours after school every day to grade, plan, and help students, who removed students from the classroom when they refused to learn, who encouraged students to recite poetry through poems of the week, who changed the desk arrangement to better serve the activity or, if nothing else, my mood, who increased the challenge and expectations every quarter, who danced and sang on the last day for the seniors, who created a class that students say prepared them for college, who created a class that students say made them comfortable speaking in public, and who created a class that students say made them enjoy English again. My persona was neither completely good nor bad, but was instead a blend of opportunities and limitations. It confined me to a box of formality and professionalism that, once established, prevented me from dropping my guard and relaxing. Teachers around me, mostly women, were more lovey-dovey with students, openly expressing that they care. However, I didn't feel comfortable doing that, either because of my constructed persona or my natural introversion. Because of this self-restraint, students, the few who did, felt extreme pride when they were able to hug me. I hugged Mr. Price. They had achieved an elusive honor.
I did sometimes feel that I wanted to be more open. But I felt stuck. In my mind, breaking away from that persona seemed unnatural and would throw students off guard. Wait, what? What's this about? This is unlike you. Who are you and what have you done with the real Mr. Price? So I remained consistent and kept to business as usual. Perhaps, too, it was my age that compelled me to that persona. I was young, around the same age as my students' older siblings. I did not wish to blur the lines between formality and familiarity, which to me was the breeding ground for rampant disrespect. Thus, I played everything close to the chest and kept students emotionally at arm's length. Casual Fridays did not exist, exist for me. If students ever randomly saw me in jeans, it was a weird experience for them. I was Mr. Price, the friendly professional who took molding young minds for success seriously. With each year, I settled more into my role as a teacher and facilitator. At the end of each year, I reflected and planned for the next. What went well? What needs tweaking? How can I tackle this issue better next year? I got into the flow of planning ahead. Each year, I thought I had all planned out. Each year, I was wrong. After all, what would education be without unexpected curveballs? Reflective questions. Describe your teacher persona. How did you construct it? What benefits or limitations come with it? What routines or traditions, whether traditional or not, have been established in your classroom? What role do they play? Describe a first day or first week of school practice. What does it contribute? Consider how it can be optimized for better results. That's class, folks. Don't forget your homework, like this episode, share with others, and follow me on Instagram at DrPriceTeaches. See you next class. Take care.